Genesis 17. When Abraham was, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have called you the, made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, was, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with him money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. That's the end of the reading of this word. All right. Well, Len, you did a great job with that reading. Are you sure you don't want to just carry on and just uh, explain to us what this all means? <laughs> so I, I asked Len yesterday, I said, do you... Uh, 
you want to read scripture Sunday? He's like, yeah, that would be great. And I said, <laughs> so then I told him afterwards, by the way, it's Genesis 17. And, uh, and one of the reasons I chose you is because you're a nurse. So you should be quite comfortable with this, uh, with this kind of a topic here. Shouldn't freak you out at all. Uh, out at all. Nonetheless, we have a bunch of guests here today, primarily for child dedication. And uh, I just want to say, uh, you, you've picked an interesting Sunday to attend uh, Central. Uh, we've, been, we've been working through uh, a series in Genesis, obviously, and uh, particularly focusing in on uh, Father Abraham, the father of many nations, as we read this morning. A promise was given to him. And so one of the joys of uh, being part of a church that preaches what we call expository uh, sermons, expositional sermons, is that we will choose uh, uh, a book of the Bible and we will work through it and not skip over anything. We preach the Word of God as it comes to us, uh, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, sometimes verse by verse. And, and that's a joy to do that because Paul said, Paul wrote to Timothy and mentored him and he says, you know what, preach the Word of God in season and out of season. You may be thinking to yourself, well, this is one of these moments where it's a little bit out of season, don't you think? Well, maybe not. We'll see what God has for us today. Uh, and this is also one of the challenges of preaching uh, exegetical and expository sermons as you come across texts like Genesis 17, and you go, what on earth is he going to say about this? Well, hang on to your hat. Uh, you're, I think, I think in for uh, a treat this morning because God's Word is living and active and it certainly applies uh, to us today. So I've, I've called the, the message this morning the cost of covenant. Because you see, when God puts a call on somebody's life, as he did with Abram, who became Abraham, and, and the covenant, the call and the covenant that God was establishing with Abraham, which would extend to all people eventually, um, it, it, had some, it had some costs, there was change that was, that was required of Abraham and there's change that's required of us as God calls us and establishes his covenant with us through Christ. There's, it, it costs us something. There's change that happens into our life and change is not easy. Um, some change is more uncomfortable than others, clearly. I mean, what happened to Abraham was not an easy call upon his life. The change that was required was difficult and it was painful. God, really? You want me to do this? And so uh, what we're going to do is look at a few of the changes that were required of Abram and Sarai, what it cost them to follow God. And we're also going to look today at maybe some of the cost of following God for our lives and the change that he wants for us. So we're going to look at three different changes. And the first change that Abram and Sarai experienced was a changed name. Did you notice that it's now in Genesis 17 that God took their names, Abram and Sarai, and changed them to Abraham and Sarah? But there's more than just, uh, uh, there's more than just two names that are referred to. There's two that changed, but God also focuses on two other names, a name for himself and also the name for Isaac, who would be born, the, the promised child to Abraham and Sarah. So let's look at these names. But first of all, I just want to quote a person named Nam Sarna who said, in the psychology of the ancient Near Eastern world, a name was not merely a convenient means of identification, but was intimately bound up with the very essence of being 
and inextricably intertwined with personality. So when God started messing with their names, this struck them to the core of who they were. It's not just, that's how I identify you. This is who you are. This is intertwined with your very being. Um, when our second child was born, um, Mar Marcy gave birth, and we were holding our son. And we both, we looked at him, and we looked at each other, and we said, that, that's not... That's not the name that we had originally chosen. I'm not even going to tell you what it was. It's a cool name. It's a, it's a nice name. And we were set on that. We, like, I mean, parents, they talk for months, right, about, about what are we going to name this child? Amelia Faith, what a fantastic name. And so we looked, we looked at him. We knew right away, we can't name him this, that we had been talking about all along. And so we went back to the drawing board, and we said his name is going to be called Joshua, Caleb. If you know Joshua and Caleb, those were the two spies who spied out the land, who went ahead of Moses as they left Egypt in, on their way to the, the promised land to Canaan. And, and they said, God said, send 12 out, one from each tribe to see what's going on out there. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back with a report that said, yes, this is going to be a challenge, but with God's help, we can do this. They were the only two that were faithful the other 10 weren't. They were overwhelmed with the obstacles. They lacked faith in God. And so um, our prayer, and it was a good, good opportunity for me again as I was studying and preparing, even yesterday uh, for this message, a good opportunity for me to pray again for my son. That the, the, the name that we gave him would truly be his calling. That he one day would be 100% faithful to God and not bow to the pressure of others who said, the culture and everything going on out there is so overwhelming. I mean, we can't do this. We can't follow God. But Joshua and Caleb did. And I was praying for my son yesterday as I was reading this and preparing afresh. But the very first thing that we see in Genesis chapter 17 here is that God revealed himself in verse 1 as, I am God Almighty. He named himself to help Abraham and Sarah understand who it was that they were dealing with, confirming that God has the power to deliver on all of the promises that he was making to them and had made to them. Because they doubted, right? They're getting up there. They're, they're, you know, they're 99 and 89 years old, turning 190, and God is still telling them, you're going to have a child. And they're like, What? And he says, let me tell you who I am. I'm God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. And what I say to you, I will do. Because I am God Almighty. I will deliver on my promises. And so he declares his name first. This was 13 years after Abram took matters into his own hands and said, this is never going to happen. And he took his, you know, his servant Hagar Actually, Sarah gave his, her servant, her maidservant, Hagar, to, to uh, uh, Abram and said, let's have a child, and that's how Ishmael was born. Thirteen years later, God says, no, 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 the promise still stands, and I will do this. In verse 5, we see that Abram, which means exalted father, exalted father, was changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So the, the root is still the same, the Abe part. <laughs> but it's Abram to Abraham, 
exalted father to father of multitude. God Almighty was not only graciously reminding Abraham of his covenant promises to Abraham, but he was gloriously expanding on them. He was building on chapters 12 and 15, where he said, nations and kings through you and through Sarah, Isaac will be born. It's going to happen. And the sign that I'm going to do this, that I've chosen you to do this, is going to be, my promise to you is going to be circumcision. We're going to talk about that. And then he changed Sarai's name, which means princess, to another variation of Sarai, which is Sarah, which means princess. <laughs> Same name, but with slightly different meaning. By the way, uh, the name change of Sarah to Sarah is the only time that a female's name has ever been changed in the Bible. This is really significant, that her name was changed as well. The promise on her is the same as the one on Abraham, that kings, that royalty would descend from her. Both names, again, variants of princess. So we can look at it this way. Sarai looks back on her noble descent. She was probably literally of noble birth. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been named that. And Sarah looks ahead to her noble descendants. No, noble ancestry, noble descendant, noble descent to future noble descendants because from her and through her would come royalty. Isaac. Isaac is named in here as well. Do you know what Isaac means? Is anybody here named Isaac? <laughs> There's an Isaac over here, Art. Um, he laughs. Isaac literally means he laughs because when God said to both Abraham and to Sarah that they would have a child in their old age, in Genesis 17, right here we see that, remember, Abraham laughed at God. He says, this isn't going to happen. And then later on, next chapter, we're going to see that Sarah laughed. And so God named, said, his name is going to be Isaac because you guys laughed at the promise. Doesn't God have a sense of humor too, right? Like... It's interesting. Just as with the Tower of Babel, people tried to, or Babel, people tried to make their own way to God. Abram and Sarah tried to help God out by making their own plan and doing things their own way. But you see, God's chosen people will not come by a natural generation, but by supernatural grace at God's ordained time. And we see that in verse 21. He said, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. This will be my doing it will be clear that I am the one who did this because at your age, you should not be having children. What's in a name? God is revealing more of who he is and who they were in him, and God does the same with us. And an interesting study to, to undertake some time of Scripture is to go through the New Testament. We're going to talk about the different covenants. And just... Uh, Meditate on all of the names that God has given you in Christ. For example, when Paul addresses the church in most of his letters, he calls them saints. Do you this morning feel like a saint? <laughs> Those of you that had a, a fight with your spouse on the way to church this morning, do you feel very saintly right now? <laughs> Those of you that were short with your kids on the way to church, come on, hurry up, we're late. Do you feel like a saint right now? No, we don't. And we often beat ourselves up and we think of ourselves as just awful sinners. 
But when we've been called, chosen, redeemed by God's grace, he views us as righteous, as saints, and that's who we are. He gives us that name no matter how we feel about it. And so to, to go through Scripture, to, to, uh, to look at all of what God has called you and named you, your new identity, particularly in Christ, is a fascinating study, and it does so much for how we actually live our Christian life. Uh, my, my father-in-law, Marcy's dad, he, he, he gave that, uh, a list of that to me one time. I still have it in my files. It's like single-spaced, two pages, just line by line. You are this, you are this, you are this, you are this, you are this. And he gave that to me and he said, Eldon, this is who you are. Right? Live that way. Like, don't, don't focus on all of the ways that you, that you think you are. This is who, how God sees you. So Abram and Sarai's names changed. That was the first change in their life, the first cost. And we're going to see kind of the cost that it had for Abram in particular, uh, the name. But secondly, a changed heart. God wanted uh, a change of their hearts, not just a change in their flesh. And so we can't talk about circumcision without talking about a different kind of circumcision that points to a different covenant. So to understand circumcision, now we're going to get to the real essence of the message here this morning. We first have to understand covenant. You see, our Bible are made up of what is called two testaments. We refer to them as the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? But they they really are... Um, And it comes from passages in Galatians and Hebrews, uh, which really are better rendered as covenant than testament. It's more accurate to say the Bible has two covenants. There's an old covenant that God was making with his people, and he established and reestablished his covenant four times in particular in the Old Testament. We're going to look at those. And then he established a brand new covenant, which has foundational roots in those ones, but it completely nullified them into a brand new covenant that we live under. So we have to talk about covenant if we want to understand all of this talk about circumcision. So covenant is helpful because it shapes uh, how our Bible is uh, organized and put together. So simply put, covenant is a chosen relationship or a partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common, common goal. That's what a covenant is. And they're often accompanied by signs and oaths or oaths and signs and ceremonies, right? There's even covenants uh, in land. So like, you know, you have a reach a land deal and another partner has to have access to it like with a roadway or something like that. A covenant is formed and papers are signed. It's an agreement between two parties. So in the church, we use covenant language in, in particular around a couple of different things. One is marriage, Christian marriage. We talk about covenanting together as a couple before God and before witnesses to live a certain way in agreement according to way, God's way for us and together. And, uh, and so another way that we covenant in the church is through what we call at Central Ministry Partnership. It's a covenant where we agree to do certain things to, uh, to help you in your Christian walk for your discipleship, and you agree to do certain things with Central to help the mission that God has called us on move forward because we can't do this alone. We need to covenant together. So a wedding uh, ceremony um, is a part of marriage covenant, and a sign is 
a wedding ring, right? This is a sign that these two people have gone through a ceremony to establish their covenant. Uh, in uh, ministry partnership uh, and baptism, so we, have, we, 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 take, we do a class together where we talk about what this covenant means. Part of the ceremony and the process is going through the class. And another sign that a person is moving forward if they have not already been baptized is to be baptized. And that's what Yvonne did last week. Baptism is a sign of a covenant that people have with God and what it means to belong to a people. And then we give a certificate to commemorate that. So in a covenant, God makes promises and in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And this is always true. God is always faithful to his end of the bargain. Always. He does not ever go back on his word. He is faithful. We do. And so God needs to keep reestablishing his covenant. And ultimately, he gave us a new one, knowing just how desperately that we need his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness because we keep messing it up time and time and time again. But God is faithful. And his ultimate faithfulness was expressed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, his very own revelation to us and what Christ accomplished on the cross. So there's four times in the Old Testament that God initiates a covenant. He did so with Noah. He did so with Abraham. Then with Moses and the entire nation of Israel, and then again with King David later. In that order, uh, when, I, when I graduated from Bible college, I had to go through an interview uh, with, a, with two professors, one in my area of specialty, which was pastoral ministry, and another one in the area of theology. And so I remember them, them telling me that they had just interviewed a graduate student. I was an undergrad at that time. And the very first question they had for him was, who came first, Abram or Noah? And the guy said, Abram. And they actually didn't allow him to graduate. They figured, okay, you're a master level student and you don't know <laughs> what covenant was made first? Noah first. Okay, it's just a hint. Noah. Then Abraham. <laughs> then Moses. Then David. And it's through these that we see God forming a covenant community into which his people will eventually be invited. So let's summarize them. Noah. Um, Early, early on in Scripture, we see that wickedness had increased on the earth, so God brought a flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption, but he spared Noah and his family when uh, and they built an ark, and God saved them from the flood. And so God, at that time, made an, a covenant with Noah, and he said, um, I know that humans are going to continue to be evil and do evil things, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy humanity like this again. I will not pronounce the same judgment and have mercy. Instead of the whole of creation, uh, instead, eventually, the whole of creation will be set right eventually, but not now. So what was a sign of the covenant God made with Noah? A rainbow. Man, we saw the most fantastic rainbow this week on the way home from I think it was Tuesday. We, were, we went with Marcy's folks down to Bellingham, enjoyed a good day, which always includes a fantastic Mexican lunch, just saying. You know me. Most of you know me. On the way home, the most glorious rainbow, right over like Elk Mountain, coming down into the prairie. It was just fantastic. A reminder of God's grace and his mercy and the covenant he made to never, ever destroy the world in a flood again the way he did in Noah's day. Second is Mosaic Covenant. 
of the covenant given to Moses on Mount Sinai in tablet form. And, and he came down to the mountain and he found again his people being unfaithful to him, but God was faithful to his promise. And in summary of the Mosaic covenant is this, for the whole tribe of Israel, God asked them to obey a set of laws which are guidelines for living as well as a, a community of God's partners. This is a partnership uh, agreement between the two of them. And if they would do this, then God promised to bless them and they would become a people who would represent him to the rest of humanity. And the sign of the Mosaic Covenant was rest. It was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was important to the law of God. Rest. The Davidic Covenant. The tribe of Israel has become a large nation ruled by David. And God asks David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom and blessing for all nations for all time on an, on an eternal throne that would come from the line of David only. And the sign of that covenant was the anointing that God poured out on David, which ultimately would extend to that eternal throne. Now we get to the Abrahamic covenant. I'm talking about it last, not because that's the order, but because that's where we are today. God chose Abraham. He promised to bless him, to give him a large family, to give him lots of land where they can flourish, and God would bless him. In return, God asks Abraham to trust him and to train up his family to do what is right and to do what is just, and the whole reason for this, God says, is that somehow through Abraham, he is going to, as he blesses him, Abraham's entire clan would be a blessing to all, eventually, every family in the entire world through this one family. And the sign of the covenant was circumcision. Why? Why would God choose circumcision to be a sign of that kind of a covenant? Because the covenant promise centers around descendants and offspring. God promised that Abram's offspring, his descendants, the seed that would come from him would be numerous. As numerous as the stars in the sky and of the sand on the seashore. He said, if you can count them, you can count how much I'm going to bless you and, and how many your descendants will be. So the sign is that the, the, the organ of procreation is consecrated to God. It's symbolized his blessing over Abraham that way in his offspring. But you see, God's intention was never, ever to possess a nation where the men merely bore some external sign. He made a covenant with a people in order to be their God so that he could bless them to be a blessing to all people. And Moses is actually the one who calls the Israelites out on their duplicity. You see, they wanted the benefits of the covenant, but they were rebellious against the God of the covenant. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, early, early on, verse 16 through 20, God says this, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Yes, God did a, a, a gave them a physical sign of this covenant he was establishing, but that never was the purpose. He wanted their heart. He didn't want them to be rebellious and stubborn. And, and so Moses speaks of the circumcision of the heart that was needed. They needed a changed heart. 
revealed in the New Testament is what was concealed in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we have these four covenants, which really are kind of like sub-covenants that were always intended by God to point to another covenant, the one that he intended to establish with his people for all time. Because in the New Testament, it said when Christ came and fulfilled the law, the other covenants are obsolete. They no longer apply. But this new covenant does. And here's the summary of the new covenant. The new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work in his people. He promises to make an everlasting covenant with his people in which he will write his law on their hearts and bring complete forgiveness of sin, put his spirit in them, in their hearts, to empower them to love and obey his commands, to raise up a faithful Davidic king to rule over them and cause them to be a light to the nations. And so what is the deal with circumcision in the light of the new covenant? Okay, now we need to go to the new covenant and talk about Paul, who is a a Jew through and through, circumcised, what he says about the issue. Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the whole law. But if you break the law, any part of it, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Mosaic covenant. For no one who is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew, a Jew, is, is a person that God has called to be part of his family. Is merely, uh, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is a bold statement by the Apostle Paul, and here's what he's saying. True Jewishness, to be God's chosen people, and true circumcision are not ethnic, and they're not physical, obsolete but they are matters of the heart and of the work of the Holy Spirit that's what true circumcision is it's a matter of the heart and of work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life circumcision does not substitute faith in God it confirms it uh, and, and you know what there were, there were plenty of people who had the external markings of circumcision, but their hearts were so far from God. In fact, Abraham, it it wasn't the mark of true faith, it just confirmed it, because Abraham, it says, was declared righteous because of his faith, and that was long before circumcision was given. Faith preceded the mark or the sign. It's those who have been, those who have repented of their stubborn hearts, received the Holy Spirit, and have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live new lives in Christ, And we are transformed by the Spirit of God from the inside out. From the inside out, not the other way around. That's the way it is with the new covenant. And all of these covenants culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. Tim Mackey said this, God entered into a series of formal relationships with various human partners in order to ultimately rescue the world through Jesus. And it is Jesus... And Jesus alone, who is able to transform us by giving us a new heart, by his spirit living in, the, in us. So with the Noahic covenant, 
It is, as it applies to the new covenant, it is Jesus who brings all of creation into reconciliation with God, ensuring that God will never again have to wipe out all life on the earth. That bow that hung, that rainbow that hung in the sky was literally turned on Jesus on the cross where he bore the wrath of God and the judgment of God that would not be part of our reality ever again. In Abraham, Jesus is from his family and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. In Genesis 17 verse 14, our text for today, uh, God literally tells his people that the men, that unless your foreskin is cut off, you will be cut off from your people in judgment. That's what it says. I don't want you to be cut off in judgment, so this is the sign of the covenant. And on the cross, Jesus literally was cut off and bore the judgment of God in his flesh that we deserved, and he fulfilled that covenant. He fulfilled that. Mosaic covenant. Jesus is the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the entire law. He's the only one. Jesus is the obedient Israelite and is is himself our Sabbath rest. He is the sign of that covenant. Davidic covenant. Jesus is the king from the line of David and so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and now sits at the right hand of God reigning as a shepherd king over the entire earth and will continue to reign forever over a new creation. Jesus fulfills all of these covenants and makes them obsolete. The new reality is in Jesus. Jesus is God who became human and he did this in order that, in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we were all made to be but we have failed to be. We cannot uphold our end of the bargain. We can't. We cannot keep the entire law but Jesus could and Jesus did and he is the fulfillment. And so through Jesus, God opened up a way for us to be in a renewed partnership with God. And so Jesus calls us to follow him and become part of his new covenant family. And he is committed to making sinners and failures like me and like you into partners who become more and more faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit and a changed heart in him. A renewed humanity partnering together with God to bless the nations and expand the goodness of his creation. He has now chosen us to be that blessing through him. So God commits himself to a people, frail as they are, unworthy as they are. He binds himself to them, and in Christ that bond cannot be broken. And in his letter to the Galatians, Paul, you know, he's pushing back against those who required physical circumcision. And in chapter 6, he said, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what counts. A changed heart by Christ who fulfilled all of these covenants. A changed heart, a new creation is a people redeemed by God who live for Jesus in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God and the good of others. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, in Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A circumcision made without hands is a metaphor for those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. Their identity with Adam, with sin, has been put off, and they have been raised with Christ, and they've been given a new identity. Circumcision of the heart means not for the believer, not just pain, it means death. For, for the old covenant people, it meant, that sign meant a lot of pain. They were vulnerable. They were set aside for God, but if we're circumcised, as Paul said, if that means nothing and we're circumcised in our heart, what happens if you cut a piece of your heart off? You're dead. Not just in pain, you're done. And that's what God wants from us. <laughs> He wants us to be done with ourselves, to be dead to ourselves, to be dead to sin, and to be alive only to Christ and what he has done for us. And that means, number three, a changed life. And I want to ask you this morning, have you embraced and received the new covenant? Have you put your trust, your hope, your faith in Jesus? There are no stipulations to this unconditional covenant of grace. And God, God both gives the promises and brings them about through the work of his faithful son, Jesus, in us. The changed life that God wants from us is his doing, it's not ours. When Abraham and Ishmael and all those in his family and every descendant to come, when they were when they literally were circumcised in, in his flesh, it took, it took it to a whole new level. They were invested in this relationship. That was committed commitment. You didn't do this unless you were all in. And when our identity changes and our hearts are changed and renewed and circumcised by Christ, our lives are changed and we are all in. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. All in. God changed their names, which was one of the most personal things about them. Abram went from exalted father, who, isn't this ironic? He was given the name exalted father and he had no kids until he was 86 years old. Only because he took matters into his own hands and had a sort of a half-son through Hagar, Ishmael. And he would have been mocked by people to that point. Exalted father, no kids. And then he announces that at the age of 99 that his, his name has changed to a father of multitude. And people are going like, what? <laughs> How many kids do you have? Well, one, uh, sort of. I mean, it's kind of a long story, right? And people would laugh at him. Um, a multitude, a father of a multitude, you've got one kid. And as the sign of submission to the covenant, Abraham was to be circumcised. This was faith that demanded the most personal area of his life in a most painful way. And twice in our text it says this, verse 33, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. He didn't waver 
in his commitment. Verse 26, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. Abraham responded to God that very day. You know when the best day is to become obedient to what God wants for your life, his call in your life? Today. <laughs> Today. Are you all in? Are you willing to be circumcised in your heart to be to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus, to allow him to change your heart, to give you a brand new life, to put his spirit in you and allow him to ha- call all the shots in your life? Today's the day. The scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart, but respond to him. Allow him by the spirit of God to circumcise your heart and to change you completely. Christianity means total surrender. Total surrender. As Colossians 2 says, we are buried with Jesus through baptism and raised with him through faith. And getting baptized is a sign of our faith as well. Are you all in? Are you, are you ready to, be, to identify with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection through baptism? A circumcision of the heart to become part of a new covenant family in the local church and to participate in another sign of the new covenant, which is communion together, which again represents the death of Christ and our death to ourselves and life to him. Galatians 5 verse 6, uh, Paul said again, he said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, he's talking about physical, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. Are you all in with Jesus? We allow his faith work in you to produce in you the kind of love that you need for him and for one another. You know, we live in a time and an age where um, in the church or in, I guess in culture, well, pe- people will say, well, I will commit to Christ but only to a certain point. I mean, uh, you know, the community is pretty good. Like, they serve some pretty decent coffee. It's a good place to hang out. Um, the worship is, is great. You know, the preaching, eh, so-so. But, you know, I, I can deal with those kind of things. That's, that's okay. But when God starts making other requests of my life in this changed heart he wants, like in the area of my time, in the area of my money, the area of my sexuality, the area of my relationships, I'm not so sure. Many people approach Jesus like they were interviewing him for a job, you know, job description, personal savior. And if he meets our subjective criteria, not the objective realities of who he actually is, how he's revealed in scripture, and the cost of discipleship upon our lives, if he meets this criteria but not that, then, then he's got the job. Then he can be my savior. Does Christ have all of you? The grace of God bestowed upon us, the sheer grace merits an all-in total surrender to God like Abraham, to almighty God, El Shaddai, not as we fashion him, but as he is and to what he asks. Today is the time to come to Christ, to live by faith, working itself out through love. Today is the day Today is the day to fight for your marriage, to be Christ-like in your marriage, 
to put your faith to the test in love, working itself through love in that relationship. Today is the day to reach out in love and compassion to those around you who are hurting. Today is the day to become a godly dad or mom to your kids. This very day is the time to serve the poor, the marginalized, those in your own neighborhood and around the world who need the love of Jesus. Today is the day. John Walton said this, what does our salvation cost us? Nothing. It's a free gift. Well, it, it costs Jesus everything, but us, nothing. We receive it. But John Walton said, what does our faith cost us? Everything. Everything. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word to us today, even in a difficult passage like Genesis 17. Lord, you, when you call people to yourself, um, there's a cost. It means that we're given a new identity and a new way of living. It means that you want our hearts to become dead to ourselves and to sin and to be all in for you. And so, Lord, as painful as that is, we know that your grace is more and that you enable us by the inner working of your Holy Spirit in our circumcised hearts to live the kind of life of faith expressing itself in love that you want us to live. So give us that ability. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who is just doubting, is this the relationship that is for me? I pray, God, that you would help them to respond today. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, come and into our lives and change our hearts for your glory and for your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.